0: This is week number 10 in our study of the book of Daniel, and for the last three weeks we've been walking through the interpretation that Daniel gave to Nebuchadnezzar of his dream, and you'll remember that in this dream there are five kingdoms, actually four of them are in an image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. Those images are described by Daniel, and it's very clear that uh, they represent kingdoms, and that the first kingdom is the Babylonian kingdom in which Nebuchadnezzar is overruling. Uh, Daniel says that very straightforwardly. And then looking through history, we matched up kingdoms number two and number three with the Medo-Persian kingdom and then the the kingdom of Greece. And those two kingdoms are mentioned in one short verse. And the, that verse covers over 500 years of history. And... Speaking of the Medo-Persian kingdom, uh, Daniel said that it would be a kingdom that followed Nebuchadnezzar's or Babylon's, but that it would be um, not as, um, I can't remember the word he used, but not as prominent as uh, the kingdom of Babylon. But then of Greece, he said that it would rule over all the world, all the earth, it actually says. And so Greeks, the Greeks did expand the kingdom greatly under Alexander the Great. And took over most of the known world in which they, um, they ruled and reigned for over 300 years. <clears throat> and then when we come to the fourth kingdom, there's some debate among those who've studied it. Um, it could represent several things and we've talked about those. Um, fourth kingdom, a kingdom of iron. Most people go immediately to the uh, Roman Empire and specifically to the Roman Empire based in Rome and Europe. And so they speak of this fourth kingdom of being uh, Rome, Italy, and all the, um, the neighboring countries of Europe. And then there's another tr- um, thought that is not simply the uh, Western Roman kingdom, but later in 330 or so, uh, Rome moved its cap- uh, the Romans moved their capital from Rome to Constantinople. So the two legs that are made out of iron could represent one leg being uh, Rome, the other leg being Constantinople, the east and the west of the Roman Empire. Then there are others who think that it has absolutely nothing to do with the Western Roman Empire, that we're only talking about the Eastern Roman Empire because it lasted for over a thousand years after the Western Empire was gone and that we're talking then about something that's based in Constantinople And that has legs that would stand in Syria and in Egypt. And those could represent the two legs of iron. And then there's another thought that it's not any of that. And that Rome isn't even included in the kingdoms that are mentioned. And there's a yet future kingdom that is coming. And that's what the legs and the feet and the toes all represent. And then this week I heard another interesting thought from a man I respect greatly. And that is that there are actually five kingdoms and that the feet themselves with the ten toes represent a kingdom that is yet future, is yet to, to be, but that the legs represent the Roman Empire. And that's a possibility. All these are viable possibilities. They, each one of them can be defended or defeated at some points. And so you can't be dogmatic about what you think it is, but the whole purpose in going through all of that and discussing it and looking at world history is to help you to think more broadly than maybe what you've been taught about. Not to think arrogantly about it, that you've got it all figured out, because I don't think any of us do. And there, I'm sure, will be more possible interpretations in the future. But that one thing is clear, that the ten toes, which I believe represent ten kingdoms and therefore ten kings, um, are present... When the fifth kingdom, which is not one in the image, but one that is made of a rock cut without hands, comes and crushes the ten toes and then ultimately the feet and the whole image falls down and it's all crushed and ground to powder and blown away by the wind. And so one thing is clear, those toes exist when that final kingdom, which is the divine kingdom, kingdom made without hands, doesn't have its origin in men, or of anything that men could create, when that kingdom comes, it will crush all the other kingdoms. We looked at one interesting place, or a couple of them. Um, The only place in scripture that I can find where there are ten kingdoms or ten kings are are in uh, Daniel chapter 2, and then again Daniel mentions them in chapter 7, and then in Revelation 17 there are ten kings. So I believe those things all match up, and they're one and the same, And they're not talking about different and distinct things, but of one time and one thing. And certainly in Revelation, when the kingdom of God comes um, and is established, uh, that's where you see the ten kings in Revelation 17. So I believe those all match and that they're not distinct and separate and different. And so that's why I go to the point where I believe the ten toes are ten kingdoms that will exist at the end of the age. And however you reconcile that and parcel all that back to the kingdom of Babylon um, is all in good with me. Um, you have a lot to think about. So do I. And, but the, the thing that we need to recognize about this uh, image, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, is that it encompasses all of human history all the way through the divine millennial reign of Christ without exception they're all included in this one image, this one dream. God didn't just give him a dream about what was going to happen soon. He gave him a dream that lasts all the way to the end of the age. All of it is contained in that image because obviously the divine kingdom isn't established until the end of the age. And so um, Nebuchadnezzar had this marvelous dream that Daniel was able to not only tell him about, but interpret it. And we've had a lot to talk about. And, and what you see in it is that this is God in 600 or so, or maybe 530, um, Daniel writing this dream down, predicting what was going to happen in the future all the way to the end of the age, without exception, showing his sovereignty, which is what Daniel is all about. The sovereignty of God in reigning over his creation and his ability to orchestrate things according to his own will and his own plan and so we see that clearly as Daniel lays this out you can see it in human history when we get to chapter 11 it will be uh, chapter 10 it'll be um, amazing the accuracy of which Daniel writes about the end of the Greeks and the beginning of the Romans and the conflicts and the the people even that he details that we'll be able to talk about so we have another history lesson coming when we get back there So, all of that to talk about this uh, dream that Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar. So, we'll finish up that section of scripture today, which is the end of chapter 2. And in all likelihood, we'll get into chapter 3. Okay, so I'll break the reading of the scripture into two pieces. We'll begin just at the end of chapter 2 to start with. And then, as we get finished with this section, we'll read some of chapter 3. So, beginning in Daniel chapter 2, down in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request to the king and appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was in the king's court. Okay, so this is the the conclusion. Daniel's finished his interpretation, but I want to, just in, in verse 45, the last couple of things that Daniel had said where he says that, um, so the dream is true. Okay, now, so what did Daniel mean by that? What does that convey to you? Why would Daniel say, so the dream, this fantastic thing that I've described, the thing that frightened Nebuchadnezzar to such a degree that he was willing to kill all the wise men if someone couldn't tell him what it meant, why does Daniel then at the end of all of this say this is true. It confirms that the king reacted correctly given that this would in fact happen in the future. Okay, and that it was significant mm-hmm. that he needed to know what it really meant. All right, what else? Well, truth. It's from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which means what to us? Yeah. Well, what do you think about these kingdoms? They will yeah, they will happen. It's not just a uh, a wild imagination of a of a man who's um, arrogant and out of his mind. What else? Absolutely, absolutely. And so we—that's the way we need to think about it. Is that th- these things aren't things to talk about and to argue about and just to try and figure out and put the puzzle together and all. This is what is going to unfold in the future. There, there is, it's not. I mean you can look at it right it's sort of like if I told you ten things that were going to happen and the first five come true then you probably ought to believe the last five right well the first parts have come true we could talk about maybe Rome and, and what it is and isn't we could, we could discuss that but it's clear that these kingdoms have succeeded through the years and that there will never be another kingdom that reigns over all the earth until the end kingdom of the antichrist And then all people are gathered together into one. But this is going to happen. And then at the end of it all, when there's total chaos and there are ten kings and there's all kinds of uh, outrageous fightings and battles and all that, then God will crush all of that. And he will establish his kingdom. It's not like this is a maybe. This is one of the possible scenarios. This is what is going to happen. And that's what Daniel's telling him. King, this is true. You can depend upon it. This is going to happen. And, and one of the things Nebuchadnezzar should have recognized, and that means my kingdom is not going to keep going. There's at least three more kingdoms after my kingdom. So it ought to cost him some humility, which it clearly did not. But it should have when he realizes his kingdom, and he doesn't know when, is going to be short-lived, that there are other kingdoms that are going to come after him. And so he ought to be, you know, considering those things. Now, I've okay, got interesting thing to think about. Why did God give Nebuchadnezzar this dream? What, what, is, what do you think is God's intention of taking an evil king over an evil empire that ransacked his people by God's own ordination... Carried them off to a foreign land, took all the the treasuries of the temple with him. Why did God give Nebuchadnezzar this dream?
1: For a revelation to His people.
0: All right, possibly for a revelation to the Jews that were in exile. That's what God calls them, as exiles. What else? I think there are other possibilities and probabilities. What else? All right, it shows his sovereignty to whom?
2: In every, in every instance, it's not that the king of Nebuchadnezzar is separate or his will operates. His position is not of God.
0: Right. I mean, that's what he should have thought, right? I don't think he does think that. But but that. All right, he did show it to the Jews. He showed it not only to the Jews, he showed it to all the Chaldeans who would have been all types of nations and peoples. What else? It does. It does. He didn't just wind up the earth and turn it loose, right? There's an orchestrated plan that has been unfolding through all of human history, regardless of what uh, men did what they wanted to, didn't do what they wanted to, weren't able to do what they wanted to. All of that, men doing what they want to, is all under the orchestration of God.
1: What about? That Israel, I mean, Israel was chosen from God right. to be a witness for the, for the Gentile. Right. And that was the whole
0: purpose. Of right. The didn't do a very good job.
1: No. I mean, <laughs> it shows here, it says, you're, you, when, when King Nezir says,
0: You're God, you're right. the God of Israel, Right. He's he should actually submit
1: to the God of Israel. Then he actually didn't. He just said, You're a God, but I got my own God, in other words. Right.
0: Well, he, but, he, but he's the God of gods. So he said some good things. He did. said some right things. We'll talk about those. What? The to Absolutely. Favor and, and favor in this here. Yeah, so it may be that God chose this time and this place simply to be able to elevate Daniel to a place where Daniel could write this down and it would be recorded for our sakes and for all the church and for those who came after Daniel in the Old Testament. So this is God orchestrating again what he wants to in order to have recorded what he desires for us to know about. And you think about it. How else could he have done this? You have to have someone who is prominent, who's respected, who that when he writes something, it will be kept. That's Daniel. It's not that Daniel wrote a letter to somebody and then they kept it and hid it. This is just Daniel writing and adding to the scrolls that already existed. Go ahead, Anna. Mm The uh, Babylon, uh, where it's located between the Tigris and Euphrates
2: River, starts in Genesis, Eden. Talks about those rivers. Alexander the Great was actually murdered Mm by strychnine poisoning right in Babylon. Yeah. Before kingdoms had been split off, centered again in Babylon, Mm -hmm. and now we're seeing the rise of ISIS and all kinds of other focus still in that same part of the world. It's like a nexus of the trade routes as well so financially over the centuries over the millennium i just
0: have a feeling that this is a it's not right it's it's not it's not coincidental right it's not coincidental and so that that for me plays into my mind thinking about all the kingdoms that we've been going through and and so i'll I'll leave that for your decision Um, so all of these i think are valid Reasons why God gave this dream at this time, you know in, in 600 BC, in order so that it could be recorded and the records could be kept. And so that's why he elevated. Dan- and I do think that this is God orchestrating in the Babylonian kingdom so that Daniel could be elevated. And not only Daniel, but his companions also. So this is God again showing his sovereignty through whatever he wants, in whoever's kingdom he desires to do it in it's not like anything is outside of his his control and so we ought to see that clearly that's true today it's not like things have diminished today and because there's so many kingdoms god can't keep them all straight not at all he's still orchestrating as he desires to the world is still under his control With, with Joseph and Pharaoh, and Pharaoh. I mean, it's very, very similar, is it not? Here we see Daniel, I think, probably elevated to the second in command, only underneath um, the King Nebuchadnezzar himself. Even as other successive kings come, and they will, not only through Babylon, because there's another seven or eight kings who come before the end of Babylon, but even into the people who take Babylon, Daniel's still prominent. Only God could orchestrate such a thing. So this is Daniel being elevated probably to, the, like, Joseph, the second in command. So it's very, very similar to what God did with Joseph. Go ahead. I'm, I'm uh, a
2: little bit familiar with that link, perhaps, between Daniel and his uh, authority over the wise men. Sure. And what you have hundreds of years later when they seek out Christ.
0: Right. Seek
2: out the time and appear, you know, a couple of years after his birth. Right their knowledge about Messiah right. may have come from Daniel
0: and his influence on At, the wise men. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know when ultimately the Babylonians are taken by the Medo Persians, Daniel is very, very prominent in that in that land, in that kingdom. He's still very significant. And we'll see that later. But um, so he, this is God orchestrating what he wanted to happen. I think that's pretty clear. Then Daniel says one other thing that I want us to talk about. So not only that the dream is true, but its interpretation is trustworthy. What's significant about that statement? Its interpretation, what I've told you, is trustworthy. So it's not just that the dream is true in in a general sense, but the very details that I've laid out for you, especially about that fourth kingdom. Where he gives so much detail, none given really about the second and third. What, what's in, what's significant about Daniel saying its inter, interpretation is trustworthy? Go ahead. He says in verse 28,
2: uh, 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries.
0: So, right. Reveal anything, okay, that is absolutely true, you know, and that's where Daniel started. Add to that what? Not subject to any other interpretation. Right, but there's some. And what's Nebuchadnezzar been about since the very beginning? If only the person who
2: could reveal the dream to him was the one that could be
0: trusted. Right. So here it is, answering Nebuchadnezzar's request to a T. Not just some of it, not just maybe this is right or this is wrong. This is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar was after. It happened exactly like he desired for it to happen. So Nebuchadnezzar is a wise guy. It's not like he's a, a stupid king and doesn't know you know, I mean, no. I mean this is a guy who controls the earth and he's a wise guy, and he knew this dream was so significant that someone had to be able to tell it to him and interpret it, otherwise he couldn't trust what they said. And so he absolutely believes every word Daniel says, every one of them.
2: When David, he is headstrong in a sense.
0: Why is that? Right.
2: That he did tactically have been used over and over by by kingdoms and generals later. And he believed that the world revolved around
0: him. Yeah, yeah, that's clear. Here is an example of him being
2: hit, in that he's bowing down to somebody else, Daniel, in order to know what the dream is. I mean, it's just so.
0: He, he is. But remember that God gave this dream not to Daniel, but to Nebuchadnezzar. This is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But, but Daniel's the one that somebody else had to reveal it. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
0: He is. But he doesn't believe that. Oh, we'll we'll see that in a second, right? Well, he doesn't think that. It's not the way that he thinks. Now, and you're right. Nebuchadnezzar was a brilliant general, he's the guy who took Palestine. But he wasn't going after Palestine. That was just in the byway. He was after Egypt. And he would have gone into Egypt if his father hadn't died. He was on the march toward ne- to, to, to overcome. <laughs>
1: that's
0: the opposite of what Nebuchadnezzar said today (laughs) so he would have gone into Egypt but his father died so they called him back so they could coronate him so I mean he is he was the guy his father had been king he became king um, and he's ruling absolutely and so I know they're simple statements, but they carry all the weight of what this whole passage is about. Is that what he has said is not only true, but it's trustworthy. It's trustworthy not only for Nebuchadnezzar, it's trustworthy for you and I. And we should hang our view of human history and the future on this interpretation, because this is the only one we have. Okay, so we go on into verse 46. And Nebuchadnezzar almost worships, right? Falls on his face before Daniel, um, offers him incense, or calls for incense to be offered to him. So Nebuchadnezzar is doing what at this point? What's he doing? Well, he's honoring
2: Daniel, but I mean, I mean it's like it almost a worship offering incense. It does. it
0: does. Look back at verse 6. Look back at, I think it's verse 6. I hope it's verse 6. Yeah. <laughs> verse 6. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. So what is Nebuchadnezzar doing? He's honoring his word, right? He's doing exactly what he promised that he would do. Which is to his credit. Which is to his credit. He's doing exactly what he told the wise men that he would do. So he's keeping his word here. So that's a good thing. You know, there are some good things about Nebuchadnezzar that we should recognize. Now, in even the next verse, he says right things. Because what does he say? He's talking to Daniel. And he says what? Surely your God is, God. Your God is a God of gods. Not that there aren't multiple gods. Right, But the jurors is the most significant one. What else does he say? What? Lord of the kings. Who's the king? He is. is. So he's even the Lord over me. So he's saying right things. It's true belief. So why is he saying these things if it's not true belief? Okay, he is absolutely delighted that Daniel was able to do what he wanted to. And in that state of euphoria and understanding and that, hey, God gave me this king, this uh, dream, and he gave me this guy to interpret it to me, me. So he is ecstatic. And he's saying good things about Daniel's God, but only because he got his dream interpreted In in a good way. Because after all, he's the i head of gold. I'm the head of gold, and I'm the most significant in the image. Go ahead, Larry.
2: Well, in the NAS, it, he he exceeds this statement of God of God's and Lord of Kings with the word A.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: God, well, right.
0: B, right. 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 He right. Yep. It
2: it's not really a statement of belief.
0: It's not. It's all. not. it's it's not and well yeah his actions clearly show it but even his words reveal it go ahead it's
2: like in James where he says uh, if you look in the mirror you see your reflection and you go away and you forget yeah so here God revealed it and he goes ah and he's like what was I thinking
1: and it's it's amazing how quickly it leaves him
0: it it is and it does leave him and
1: who saw the plagues over and over and over and each one of them removed and yet he art in his heart yet Yeah.
0: yeah Pharaoh hardened his heart ten times. God hardened Pharaoh's heart ten times. The so,
2: the going that whole desert
0: for 40 years. It kept hardening well, You know, why would we do just this, you know, pillar of fire behind us every night and this cloud guiding us where to go, but I don't believe. Quail yeah. are it's out. coincidental. <laughs>
1: it says what the pastor was today, that they desire what gives it over to a lust. Is his is power, right? So
0: he just gave him to. I mean, even Nebi, even Daniel
1: uh, spoke on, on chapter. I mean, twenty-eight, verse twenty-eight. He made known to the king. He says,
0: "Hey, he made it known to you." Right. That's he what I mean. Wow, the, the focus here, right? The focus we place is on Daniel, but that's not the focus of the passage at all. It's all about Nebuchadnezzar. Good, Jerry. That's right. He he said his faith is in what he can see, which is is not what your faith is to be secured in, right? It's what you can't see. Yeah, we won't go there. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because we could talk about that for a while. Go ahead.
2: (laughs) Right. Right. That's right.
0: And, and you must have knowledge, but it is not the linchpin by any means. You, you have to have information, but it's, it's not the wear all. All right, so then um, Nebuchadnezzar again stays true to what he promised in that he promoted Daniel. And he didn't just promote Daniel a little bit, right? Daniel is over everything. He's over all of the wise men, Of all the provinces, not just of Babylon, but all the wise men of Babylon. Babylon's made up of many, many provinces. We'll see that clearly uh, in the next passage. But Daniel is over all of that. All of those wise guys are underneath. He's the chief prefect. They all are at his command. And so this this is monumental. This is setting Daniel at a place that nobody else had preoccupied or will occupy again because Daniel will stay there until the end of the Babylonian (laughs) kingdom.
1: What's so amazing if God used a child to reveal that? Think about all these grown men and these sorcerers and everything else. But he used a child. He says, hey, I can use anything I want. I'll use a child to humble you. It's just amazing how God does. Just like Israel. He picks the worst of of the least of the least and makes them who they
0: are. And we talked about this, right? This is the third year that Daniel's been in (laughs) captivity. He's just gotten through with his training. So he's still a teenager and probably a pretty young one. And so, yeah, God, I mean, we would call him a child. In those days, they would have called him a man. But nevertheless, he's young. He's inexperienced. And yet God is doing through him what he desires to. And, you know, this is why Daniel was known as an interpreter of dreams, right, that we saw previously that he stated. So this, this is monumental. And it... Daniel is so prominent in Nebuchadnezzar's mind that he goes, hey, I've got three friends. Now, would Nebuchadnezzar have known those other three guys? When we interviewed all these guys, these four were ten times better than any of the rest, is what he said. So, yeah, he knows them. He knows who they are. He knows they're worthy to be promoted and Daniel makes the request. And so Nebuchadnezzar's in that kind of mood, right? This is the guy who just told me my dream. So he puts those three guys in administration, not over just any province, but over Babylon. So here you have Daniel at the very height, in the king's court, at his, at his side. And you have these three guys at the highest place in Babylon, other than the king himself. And, he's, and they're in Babylon, which is the greatest province. So these four guys, young guys, are promoted and they basically run the place. They run the kingdom, which is outrageous, right? Four exiles taken into captivity, trained under Chaldean teaching who disbelieved everything they were told while everybody else did believe and these were the four guys running the place. Who could do that? Only God could orchestrate such a thing, right? These are the four guys who they would not have picked because of their behavior in training school, right? Because these are the guys who wouldn't eat the food. They wouldn't bow the knee. They wouldn't do what they were told to do. They kept their own beliefs instead of adopting Chaldean beliefs. So, I mean, only God could orchestrate such a thing. And it's very clear that he does. Very clear. And he does so with the three other guys, so that chapter 3 can unfold, so that we could have the fiery furnace, and so that they could be in danger of their lives, so they could say right things, and they could be tested. That's why they get promoted, and so that God can continue unfolding to Nebuchadnezzar and to all of his kingdom just how sovereign he is and how in control he is. So he, he orchestrates these things so they can happen. That's why they get promoted. Daniel made the request. He did what he wanted to. He got his friends at high places. But nevertheless, God is the one who's orchestrating what's going on. It's very clear, isn't it not? Crystal clear. He can still do the same thing today if he desires to. And maybe he is. And we just don't are, aren't wise to it. Maybe. he does it
1: quite regularly with Christians who have put in prominent positions just to speak truth. Yeah. right
0: yeah yeah i mean the world is still the world things have not changed god is still orchestrating he's still revealing truth he's still calling people to himself i mean that's all still happening and it's all still miraculous that he can orchestrate and think about your life and who spoke truth to you god orchestrated that so that you could hear the truth go ahead jerry well, knew what Isaiah had prophesied. yeah Yeah, the prophecies were given so that we might understand not just what's going to happen, but we might understand better he who is making it happen. That's why you study prophecy. That's why we're in in Daniel. Why would we walk through such an ancient book that has no relevance to today that was written in 200 B.C., right? I mean, that's what the skeptics would say. Why, Why are you spending your time? Matter of fact, even the good studiers of Daniel ignore chapter 3 that we're getting ready to go into. You know why? Because there's no prophecy there. There's no prophecy in chapter 3. There's all kinds of truth in chapter 3, but there's no prophecy. So why do you spend your time there? Why would you even bother? Because it's there, right? So it's just as inspired as the rest of it is. So we, we will walk through it. Okay, so questions you've got about the at least five kingdoms maybe six that are revealed in this dream to nebuchadnezzar anything you want to talk about before we go into chapter three which is totally different anything question statement you want to make glory be to god right how he has set in order what he desires to happen and it will happen exactly as daniel said it would who was in, the, in in Pharaoh's house, right? How could Moses be in Pharaoh's house? How could God orchestrate such a thing? Because he wanted to. He had his own purposes. And, and you, you see it all the way through. I mean, you, you clearly see it in the apostles of the New Testament, how God gave them platforms to um, to speak the truth. Okay, so let's read some in, in chapter 3. We won't get through all of this, but we'll at least begin it. So, beginning in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then, he herald, then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the, the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Okay? So here we get the setting, right, and what's going on. Uh, Question for you. It's not in scripture, so you'll have to make it up. When is this? How long after chapter 2 is chapter 3? I mean, is it immediately? Or is it years? Go ahead. Well, that's a good question. That's why I ask you, because I figure you'll have the answers. There's a, there's a guy I'm reading as we go through Daniel. I'm reading several guys, but one of them, a guy named Walvord, Um, has a pretty good um, handle on what's going on in Daniel. And he says that in 595, there was a coup attempt in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, and they tried to overthrow him. So that would have been in his 10th year. And, and that what this is a result of, this is a good possibility, is that Nebuchadnezzar was building this image so that people would come and announce their loyalty to him as opposed to trying to overthrow him. And that's why he brings all of the provinces together because they just tried to overthrow him and he put it down. And so that's a reasonable thought. If that's true, then how long after chapter 2 is chapter 3? Seven years. Could be seven years later. Now, how long did Nebuchadnezzar rule? No, 42, 42 years. Okay, there, like I said, there are other kings in Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar, several. I mean, in, in rapid succession because the Babylon only lasts um, a little under 70 years and Nebuchadnezzar's there for 40, 42 of them. Okay, so he's clearly the most prominent one, but he's not the only one. And so this maybe is a, a quarter of the way through Nebuchadnezzar's reign when they tried to overthrow him and he put it down so nobody tried again. And so that's reasonable. May not be. We don't know. We know this. His, his last seven years of his reign are as what? Yeah. As a cow. <laughs> or uh, a man with uh, uh, fingernails like eagle's claws. For seven years. Yeah, for seven years. He, he's out munching grass. So <laughs> we know it's not that time, right? Yeah. So it's somewhere between there And his third year, somewhere in that time frame. But I think Walvoord has a reasonable explanation of why did this happen. Now, how big is this image that Nebuchadnezzar is going to build? 90 feet, feet, but in the scripture it says what? 60 cubits. cubits, And how wide is it? Six. What's with all the sixes? (laughs) that's three sixes no 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 we use base 10 right we use base 10 we all understand that 10 100 you know 1 right they use base 60 as their base I mean you can go back and I can't but somebody can go back and read the ancient tablets right and it's clear that their math was based on a base of 60 so, maybe that's what Nebuchadnezzar's doing here. This is why it's 60 cubits and 6 cubits. He's using what's common in their society. This is, what they, this is the way they would have counted. Very different from what we do. Um, I don't know. Any of you ever tried to use a different base than 10? Yeah, yeah. Like hexadecimal, which is 16, which would drive you, co- binary, which is 2, which would drive you crazy, right? Hexadecimal is the one that really gets me because then you don't have just numbers, right? You've got letters. You got letters, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, which, um, you know, doesn't work in my mind, I think, numbers. So, go ahead. I expect your chronology
2: question, or question statement, how much time transpired between chapter one and two? I guess it started in, what, 586?
0: No, no, no. Um, the capture, the initial capture of Jerusalem in about 605, there were... Successive sieges of of um, Jerusalem until ultimately they burn um, the temple and all. But there, so the first one in 605 or so, and so that's the one I believe Daniel was taken. And so when you start with chapter one, you're in six before 600. 29 years uh, 19 years later (laughs) ultimately you know they they slaughter uh, the people who still left in Jerusalem because remember this after Daniel was taken captive Jerusalem still had a king who was Jewish and so there's still skirmishes going on and some homage, but some also dishonor. And so they keep coming because until ultimately they set up their own guys and even those guys rebel against them. So they come and squash their own guys. So this happened successively over about 15 years where, and, and ultimately decimated Jerusalem. So, I mean, we start out in 605. Here we could be in 595 or so, somewhere somewhere in that rain. Okay. Not that it's significant, right? But even there had to be a motivation for Nebuchadnezzar to do this. Now, he makes this image of what? Gold. Gold. Now, this is probably not a solid gold image, right? That'd be a lot of gold. And something 90 feet tall and six feet wide. I mean, that's a lot. And you can go and there will be, uh, go into ancient ruins of Babylon and you'll see a monument to Zeus. And to some of the other gods that are similar, not as big as this one, but very, very similar, you know, 60 feet tall or something like that. So this is, would not be uncommon to set up this kind of image, probably overlaid with gold. Now, why gold?
1: The, gold
0: yeah, it could be because he was the gold head, right? So he's, this is matching up maybe to what Dan, Daniel uh, interpreted for him. No, he didn't do, because this is all about him, not anybody else, right? Maybe he's implying that, no, it's not going to be that way. It but could. My mm-hmm. all of yeah, you, I don't know. He could be. Gold is going to be the only
2: metal that you can cover it with. It's not
0: going to tarnish or cry. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Of course, this is in no. desert, so no. go ahead. Mm-hmm. In other words, gold may very well have been a description of a precious metal. So it
2: was a rich place. It was more. So it's not necessarily. Never dancer here saying, "Ah, oh, it was a gold statues. So I'm making gold." Right. Instead, a description of the prominence, the richness, the wealth of the kingdom itself. Right. So just be careful about where we find the origin or source
0: of meaning. Right. Thank you. Okay. So we have this big, big uh, image, and when you talk about image. Most typically, we talked about this a little bit before, it's a human form. This is probably a statue. And maybe not a statue all the way up because that'd look kind of weird, right? 60 feet tall and only 6 feet wide. So maybe it's a big base with a statue on top uh, that looks like Nebuchadnezzar. Don't know. But anyway, just this, you now see this huge, huge statue. So... Um, And then Nebuchadnezzar calls all of the people, all the rulers, right, really? I mean, you go through that list, and if you can, you say all the words. And it's all the significant people who are ruling his kingdom. And it's from everywhere. It's not just from Babylon, right? It's from all the provinces. So there's guys coming from a long, long way to come to this dedication. And Nebuchadnezzar is calling them all to come so that they might. This is really like a a, a ceremony of initiation or uh, a dedication ceremony. It's, it's that kind of thing. So I'll talk about it in a minute when we get to the to the particular terms that are used because I think they bring up in our minds the wrong thoughts, and I'll show you what I mean in just a minute. Um, so. All right, so everybody comes, right, in verse 3. This is a narrative passage, so you, you move through it pretty fast. Um, everybody comes, and then they, they all stand together. Then the herald tells them what they're supposed to do. So this is like the proclamation. you know, you've got all these people, right? Came from all over the place. All the rulers, all the significant people. If you're going to raid and invade them or drop a bomb on them, this is time to do it. Because right, you would have gotten them all. So they're all there. And, and so the herald tells them what to do. And he says that at the moment you hear all this music, I assume it was melodious, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Now what does that sound like? You're to When you hear all the music, you're to fall down and worship the image which Nebuchadnezzar has set up. What what are you thinking? Well, yeah. (laughs) What does this sound like? It sounds like idolatry, right? The problem is in the term what? Worship, Worship, right? That sounds like they're worshiping. Now, somebody else got a different translation says something different because I don't think so. I think they all say worship, right? Just so you understand what is being said here, this is the same word back in verse 46. When King Nebuchadnezzar fell down and did what? Homage to Daniel. Was he worshiping Daniel? I don't think so. He was honoring, respecting, acknowledging, all of those things, yes. Same word that all of the translators for some reason want to put in your mind, this, this concept of idol worship. Okay, I don't think that's what this is. What, all right, if it's not that, if it's not idol worship, because so, Nebuchadnezzar never says this is a God, you're to worship it. No, he doesn't say that. What is this? What's going on here? Yeah, exactly. This represents Nebuchadnezzar, so he's calling them to allegiance. This is like you and I pledging to the flag. Okay, you know, right? When you stand up and hold your hand over your heart and say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, that's what this is. This is a Pledge of Allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what he's calling them to do. Go ahead. Okay.
2: So later in chapter 3, when um, Shadrach, Meshach,
0: and Abednego are saved out of the fiery furnace, right. Feet, he says, who sent his angel, delivered his servants who trusted in him, and
2: frustrated the king's word, he their bodies, they should not serve or worship any god. Right.
0: Except yeah, and this is all the same language. I don't think so. I think he just—and and again, the term "worship" is what drives us to the wrong direction, right? This word can be interpreted multiple ways, and—and and it doesn't mean what we think of when you say "I worship something." That is not what this word means. This is more of—you um, recognize, you acknowledge, you give allegiance to than it is that I worship this. Go ahead, David.
2: Well, given these uh, three guys have already gone through all the training <coughs> and the magic and the philosophy, and the Yeah. okay, so they were acknowledging that then. This has to be different. I mean, this is something different where they felt we can't do this.
0: This is Nebuchadnezzar calling people to allegiance to him, him. Not to the nation, not to the teachings, not to the gods, to Him. Above, to yeah, yeah, it's stronger than just allegiance. But it's not like I want you to worship me as a god. I don't think it's like the like the, um, uh, like the emperors would do in the Roman Kingdom when they said, "I am God, you're to worship me." It's not like that.
1: But in verse
0: 14, <coughs> look to my scholarly friend and ask him he probably he probably don't have that translation with you do you? He? he probably do it's on his phone <laughs> same, same, term. same term so this, this is what see i don't know why the translators do this and they all do it because it gives us the wrong idea of what's being called for here if they would have said do homage we wouldn't have thought the same thing right and it's that same term that for some reason back in verse 46, that's what they used. So th- th- be careful of the translators, okay? They're all well intentioned, but they're not accurate all the time. None of them are. So you have to think and look at what words mean and, and, and come to understanding. Because I don't think Daniel, uh, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar set this up to be idol worship, I think he set it up to be allegiance to him. And if Walford is right, it came just after a coup, right. so he's saying, "No, you pledge allegiance to me, and if you don't, into the fiery furnace with you."
2: Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you pledge a loyalty oath to me. If not, you die.
0: That's exactly right. That's that's what this is. This is this is not idol worship. Nebuchadnezzar is not establishing another god. For the for the uh, Chaldeans, they had enough. They didn't need another one. All right, hold on a second. Go ahead, Chris. So
2: what is the issue then that, the, that Shadrach, Meshach, and yeah, Abednego would not bow? It, part of the issue. Are, uh,
0: oh, what, th- th- think about this. Well,
2: hold on.
0: The question.
2: Is, <laughs> is, this, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? Right.
0: Right. Right. Right.
2: I guess the wait, way wait, when you say do homage, like we would say pledge allegiance, okay, we obviously, most of us do that with a good conscience. So sure, um, sure. That
0: would no. One.
2: I think there's something more in between worshiping this statue and just saying the pledge of allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar. It's something more saying, I'm yours, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I do think it contains that, but it's not worship. It's, it's not what we think of as worship. Right Now, think about this. Think about this. Who are these three guys? Rulers over Babylon, Babylon, where Nebuchadnezzar is based. These are the highest guys in the land other than him and Daniel. These are the guys who would, without hesitation, supposedly give him allegiance. Right? With no question. Because they're the top guys right there. So, so, recognize who we're talking about. This is why I said what I did at the end of chapter 2, two right? These are very significant guys. Go ahead, Charles. Go ahead, Charles. Oh, I
1: was
2: going to say, uh, I'm still kind of on the same confused train. It's um,
0: yes, okay. You're young. Maybe
2: I'm dickheaded with what you just said, but Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, me second.
0: Yeah, it's the, it's the same concept that we're talking about here. Is that they're not going to give allegiance to anybody, commitment to anybody above the one true God. That's what he's basically saying. That's that's what he's basically saying is that you, no, you're not going to. Say you're anybody's other than gods.
1: Well, that's, that's what what's up? Five. Just before that, when, when Nebuchadnezzar says that you are God is right. above
0: kings. Well that's what, what he's words, yeah. yes, when, when uh the Jewish people it's that's what they, what he said is not what he believed. Still he said it. <laughs> right. Oh he clearly he said, said it. it. When
1: when the these Shetra uh decided not to mm-hmm. honor the set allegiance to the, the allegiance to me not i mean we're due allegiance to, to the american flags it's not like god i mean god's below the, uh, the allegiance of the american flag it's just obviously god's above right but these kids they decide to so it's well, like worship i'm not going to worship that image well, i'm going to worship god listen
0: if you don't pledge allegiance to the flag right people do not throw you into a furnace so this is under penalty of death if you don't do this this is very significant as opposed to just say hey, say you you, you See me as your leader. No, if you don't, then I'm going to throw you into a furnace and kill you. So,
2: yeah, a so yeah. If they, they did been a sin in
0: yeah, It didn't say it didn't have anything to do with religion. So okay, but it's not idol worship that we're talking about here. It's Nebuchadnezzar saying, give me allegiance, recognize me as the sovereign over everything
2: could more let's find out who our friends are and, and enemies and let's show everybody what we do to our enemies.
0: yeah and bow down to me it, or either stand up to me so
2: it's, it's devoid of religion. Uh,
0: there's nothing in Babylon that's devoid of religion right religion is all wrapped into everything in their society that's why they had, Numerous gods, gods over everything, gods control everything, we're just mortal men, we can't interpret dreams, only the gods can. Religion is in everything in, in Babylon. That's how it is in all polytheistic lands. Go ahead, John David.
2: Right, themselves before image. right. This is the same term. So in their minds, there is no way they can disassociate this
0: from worship. Right. And, and it's, it's all mingled together. I mean, there is no way to disassociate it. And, and, but it's not just strict idol worship, that I'm setting up another God. That's what I want you to recognize. This is allegiance to, to Nebuchadnezzar. This image represents Nebuchadnezzar. If you don't bow down to his image, then you don't bow down to him. yeah you would think right. they, they clearly did not right. there's one point I want to make before we have to break that recognize this they all come together right the herald stands up and says this is what you're to do when you hear the music let's have a dress rehearsal let's play the music and let me see all of you bow down they play the music everybody bows down except for three guys at the very first time at the inauguration service they remain standing. Everybody else bows down. That's what's going on here. This isn't like oh several months later, and then this comes up and someone catches them. No, no, no. This is at the inauguration, at the dress rehearsal, the very first time everybody bow down, these three guys remain erect. That's when this happens. It's not so this is denial of Nebuchadnezzar's herald from the get go of the three highest guys in the land other than Daniel and the king this is this is, if this, if there was a coup this is it okay because these guys are not doing what the king commanded under penalty of death that's when this happens this is not later this is from the very get go this is the first time it's called for they remain standing go ahead
2: uh, will you permit me to be a force of death
0: sure Continue beating the horse?
2: Uh, so we know that in uh, 605 Jerusalem collapsed because of idol worship. Uh, it,
0: part it, part I, of it, yeah. But it didn't really, right. When sacrifice of years. Well, and children and, and all kinds okay, of we things. we
2: come into uh, Babylon, the time of the Gentiles, we have a beast that represents successive. some other final image. For worship, and continued of idol worship, they make an image in Babylon, whether it be worshipped or not, I don't know. Whether it's an idol or not, sure, I don't know. Sure, sure, okay. But that's one instance of it in that one kingdom of Babylon. Then you get into Persia and we have the issue of Daniel going into the lion's den because he refused to mm-hmm. worship and or idol whatever. Right. But then we have... Yet a third kingdom, in Greece, where a tic, uh, tifides, oh, tifides, whatever his name is, <laughs> 1870 uh, B.C., Antiochus. had an
0: idol
2: put in the temple, and whoever refused to worship that was killed. Sure. And then we have, in whether it be Rome or, which I don't think it is personally Rome, uh, we have an issue of uh, idol worship, which they really don't mention, perhaps in Kabbalah in Mecca. And then we have the ten toes, where the Antichrist comes in and lops off your head if you don't worship that idol. Right. So I'm not too sure it's not a idol that we're not worshiping because of the continuous.
0: I mean, I, yeah, I won't know. argue with you about that. Yeah. I may disagree with you, but I won't argue with you. Well, <laughs> right. I, 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 absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I. I Yeah, I I very rarely, very rarely am am dogmatic. Now, on some things, I will be. But on these kind of stuff, no. That's why we talk about it, right? So, uh, go ahead, David.
2: Would you agree, then, that no matter what Nebuchadnezzar had in mind, these three guys looked at this as idol
0: worship? They looked at this as giving allegiance above their true God. If that's (laughs) idol worship... See, this is, this is about Nebuchadnezzar, a man, not about the image that he set up. That, this is about Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar would not be considered an idol, right? I mean, so this is about him, not about the image he set up. He,
2: hasn't to be
0: God. he has not declared himself to be God. But he just wants everybody to submit to him. Well, let's not go back to the garden today.
2: wanted Adam to submit to his authority. And here you have something in a very similar parallel. I don't think...
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he didn't say well, to worship me. All right, here you go. The oldest guy in the class, I think, is going to have the last word. <laughs> I think you are. I, th- I think you are. Could it be? That this whole deal is the same principle that Christ was teaching the disciples when he said, if you love your mother or your father, love your wife. Yeah. It's not about worship. It's not about, it's about priority as love. Right. Yeah. I, that's what I think. I mean, and we could talk about it for a long time, obviously, and we yeah. have. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll come back here next week because what I want to talk about is what these guys, the three of them, what are they doing when they don't bow down? And then we'll see their amazing faith through the fire. So, but recognize the scene here. Everybody who is significant in the kingdom is there. And these three guys deny Nebuchadnezzar. That's why he's so mad. Thanks for your time,